Right, welcome to the big kickoff. It's the Premier League returns. All delighted about it. So today's show is just going to be Premier League, the first weekend back. And just right now, the game, the Merseyside Derby is finished. Dave, no celebrations, no nope. goals, not really anything, to tell you the truth, was there? No, there was um, uh, uh, very much like, kind of the same like everything else. One or two people looking busy and looking flashy, but in boring areas. The final third, next to nothing. I think Liverpool had a half a chance with Bobby Firmino in the first half and not much else, really. A free kick near the end. And then Everton weren't doing a whole lot either. Charleston had one in the first half. And then there was literally that one-minute spell where they should have put it away once, at least once between a couple of chances. I think they two cracking chances in, in literally the space of a minute. And you think Everton are going to kind of capitalise on this because Liverpool looked a bit lost at the back line with all the changes that were being made but then obviously they just went back in, in on themselves and then the game just petered out unfortunately Yeah Nathan a couple of great chances for Everton towards the end probably the best of chances should they score or just unlucky? Um, I think they were pretty unlucky um, the one that I thought that was a decent enough chance was was it with Charleston in the fourth half I think it was in about the half yeah. an hour mark Got a decent turn on the defender and a nice shot. Like at first glance, I was like, ah, yeah, it was decent opportunity. But you've seen them go in, and you've seen it with Charleston in particular put them away. So I thought that was probably really a bigger chance than some of the ones that came at the end for me. And um, like I was saying, we we're touching on the on uh, Liverpool as well. We were talking about it before this all started. That you can really tell that they were missing a couple of players, weren't they? Like they were yeah. lost up top without Salah. They missed that little bit of. Bit of bite that he brings him, and he like a bit of that and driving forward and with the energy. And so same with uh, Andy Robinson down on the left hand side. Like, I thought he really missed him there tonight. Now, it was unfortunate with Milner going off with an injury, but I thought Robinson was badly missed too there tonight by uh, Liverpool, especially going forward. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, P- Peter Everton spotted a big weakness when Lovren came on, didn't they? He, he started <laughs> to get exposed down that side. It's great when he comes on. No, it's not. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, he sort of blackened it up a bit, didn't he, really? Um, yeah, you're right. It, 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 he did expose a weakness. And to be fair, I think Everton probably had the better chances, actually. Having said that, there weren't that many, was there, between uh, both sides. But I tend to agree what Nathan said. I think um, having no salad does make a big difference, obviously, by far and away. And I think the other key factor as well is, I mean, I think overall, nil-nil was probably a fair result, actually. I think, I don't honestly think either side really did enough to win. But I think the key more than anything was having no crowd there. Um, You know, being a a Merseyside derby, this is obviously the first Merseyside derby ever to be played without a crowd. And that really, in my opinion, um, really made would have made a big difference. I think if you'd had a yeah. full house, which you would have done under normal circumstances, yeah, I the think if wasn't anything, there. it would have raised um, both sets of players because, to be honest with you, throughout most of that game, most of them looked a little bit flat, didn't they, really? It, mm. You know, you, you looked at most of that and you thought it did generally look like a, a sort of a training session, really, between both sides. And I think they just needed a crowd behind them to probably give them a little bit of a lift more than anything. And I know most games, obviously, uh, you know, people will say, well, is our crowds really going to make that much difference? But I think in derbies in particular, I think, you know, to be fair, that, that, that has made a massive amount of difference. Having no crowd, you don't seem to get the same spark. And I, I, I felt personally that really showed today. Yeah. Although everything did do well and they, they, they shut up shop fairly well. I mean, that was their game plan. They were never going to try and out-attack Liverpool, which is sound advice, and you expect that from someone like Ancelotti. But there was one, Dave, there was one decision from Mike Dean on the edge of the box. Lucas Dean made a great challenge on the edge of the box against uh, Mane. Uh, Won the ball, slid in, and... Mike Dean gave a, a free kick on the edge, edge of the box. I think he gave a yellow card as well. Yeah. And you could see how frustrated the Everton players were. And, and I kind of got frustrated myself as well. It's, it's, it's the handball rule. Anywhere on the pitch, if, you, if there's a handball that leads to a goal, 
that the goal will be disallowed through VAR. But this is a similar situation which has similar repercussions where an absolutely blatant wrong decision could have cost Everton or in another game someone else a game. It's kind of a, it's a flaw in, their, in, their, in the league's kind of rules, isn't it? In relation to the VAR rules? No, ju- yeah, just in relation to the VAR rules because this is a situation where a wrong can be turned yeah. into a right. But uh, are the VAR guys allowed to interrupt the game and tell them they've made a wrong decision? Or no, that's, that's what I'm saying. Should they not be allowed to? In, in um, it, once, the, once the game is stopped, because this is what they're doing with handball. The game flows on. There can be a handball yeah. on the edge of one box. They can break towards the end of another box and score a goal and then still disallow it. But in yeah. this situation where it's a perfectly good tackle, the mm. game is stopped. It stopped for about two or two minutes or so, maybe more. Mm. And they're not allowed to interrupt uh, because it's a yeah, um, it's I'm not exact. I'm not exactly sure of the exact protocol. Like obviously, I haven't kind of. It's only come off the game, but I think violent play. I think there's one or two instances where they like say they see somebody punching somebody off the ball. I think they can kind of get in on the ref, but I, I think the general state of play. I think they're very much to kind of wait to be asked. Unfortunately, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and to be honest, mate, we'll we'll come to it. And there was a famous decision on Wednesday. I'm sure we'll come to it. I'm sure. If Far were allowed to interrupt, I'm sure they would have, you know. Yeah, okay. From the, from the Sheffield United Aston Villa game, which we all know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll come back and talk about that because we're going to discuss VAR yeah. a little bit later on. Uh, Nathan, Friday night, seed Tottenham Hotspur play Man United. It was one all draw. It was always going to be an interesting game to see what starting lineup Solskjaer decided on, especially with Paul Pogba available. What did you make of the lineup from Manchester United? Um, I thought it was... You, you could literally pick it, to be honest with you. I Personally, I wasn't expecting uh, Pogba to start the game, to be honest now. I thought it would be nice to see him start, especially get the full 90 minutes. Like A lot of people were interested, including myself, to see how he'd partner up with uh, Bruno Fernandes. But he went. He sort of went with the safe uh, two in the middle, which he's been going with, which is uh, McTominay. Anytime he's um, he's fit, and Fred, who for me, like, I think Fred has um, has really improved this season. Like he came in at fourth, and I thought it was a complete liability. But he seems to be sort of like relaxing into the Premier League a little bit and getting used to the style and the, the pace and the physicality of the league itself. So for me, there wasn't too many surprises with that um, with the starting eleven. Yeah, Luke Shaw, how do you assess him and the team? How did you assess his game? I thought you had a good game. I thought, um, I thought Son, I don't know if he's marking Son, but when Anton Son went over and to his side, I thought he kept Son pretty quiet. Um, because it was always like, we know in the past he's always struggled with like the weight issue and the fitness anytime he seems to come back off pre season and off a break, like what he has been on. Well, I think he looks in decent enough shape here, and especially now with that young lad, uh, Brandon Williams, pushing him for that start for that uh, left back spot in the team. I think he sort of like he needed to come back and needed to make a statement that you know, like he's still on a young show as well. I think we forget that he's he's been around a while now, still mm-hmm. only in his early twenties. Like, so yeah. I think he needed uh, needs a couple of good running games now. But I thought the game on Friday, the impress for me now there wasn't an over like there wasn't an over amount of amazing performances but it's all sure for me now especially on the United side of things was one of the better players Okay that's not the answer I wanted from you but there you go (laughs) (laughs) What's your answer Roy? (laughs) Well I I, I, I prefer Brandon Williams I think he's a far superior defender and attacker I think he has a better brain as well Um, and uh, Charles is a decent decent player but I just don't think he's as intelligent as, as Brandon no, Williams no, if, you're, if, you're uh, asking, if you're asking that question between the two of them I'd agree with you on that I think Williams <laughs> is the better defender out of the two but if I'd look at just that game as the grand scheme of things I thought he put in a, an impressive enough performance but no yeah or, um, William, going, especially going forward next season Williams will be my, in my starting 11 at left back Okay, when I set you up the next time, you need to knock it out of the park, all right? <laughs> <laughs> for me, though, Man United are screaming out for a centre-forward and out-and-out goal scorer, someone who can push them on to win big trophies. So, Nathan, for you, is Martial the centre-forward that they can build a team around and challenge with? 
That's a genuine question for you say, on that lead now. I'm going <laughs> to say no and hope you agree. But no, uh, for me, he's not. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't improved really at his time at United. His inconsistency has always been an issue. Like you look at Martial and he can go through five games of excellence and he looks like looks a very, very good player. But then them five games get he defeats the purpose because he goes on and has seven or eight games of nothing. And Friday night was one of them games. He was non existent in that game. Completely non existent. And even when he got taken off, I was like, Oh yeah, Martial played. Didn't know that. But and then you have um Igalo coming off the bench. We look Igalo, he is what he is, you know. You're not going to be. He's not going to be starting anytime soon. He's not going to be a world beater. He's he was fine as like a quick fix, but personally, I don't think Martial's the man to lead the line for United. I think they will have to go into the market and splash some cash and spend it on on, on whoever may, that may be. Unfortunately, yeah. it won't be yeah. Werner. <laughs> no, it won't be Werner. It won't be Erling Haaland, and strikers. Strikers are hard to come uh, to get. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a bit. It's probably a big problem for them. Peter Harry Kane he did start, and he also did play the full ninety minutes, which was probably surprising. How did you assess his performance? Well, it, it, he looked like a man who hasn't kicked a football for about six months, didn't he? Really? I mean, obviously he's been out with a horrendously bad injury, but I mean, to be fair, yeah. I mean, I think I counted. I think four, five touches for about ninety minutes, and I think really that just about summed it up. Really, I mean, he looked totally unfit, uh, understandably so. Obviously, this was, his, this was his first game back. Um, it didn't help us. I mean, I don't think he got much of a service up front either as well, having said that. But, I mean, no, I mean, you know, he, he, we know once Harry Kane fully fit, he is going to obviously start banging in goals for Tottenham. I mean, that only goes without saying. But you, you can tell, as I said, he's had such a long layoff. Um, I was a little bit surprised uh, you know, that he started more than anything and even more surprised that he virtually finished the whole game as well. Um, personally, you know, with when all right, people can say Tottenham have got something to play for, but have they really? I mean, realistically, I think top four is out of the question uh, for Tottenham at the moment. As it stands, I think they're about nine points behind uh, Chelsea in fourth place. So, you know, I think now, with bearing in mind so many games coming in such a short space of time, guys like Harry Kane have to be, in my opinion, nurtured back very, very easily. And personally, I just think, um, you know, in a game like that, I think they sh he should have perhaps come off a little bit sooner, actually, more than anything else. Yeah, and Peter, Paul Merson thinks Mourinho's style of football doesn't... Uh, doesn't sue Harry Kane and believes the Tottenham striker will have to have a serious think about his future at the end of the season. Do you agree? Well, yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't quite go along with Paul Merson's point uh, with Mourinho and, and you know his style of football, etc. All right, it's probably not the best style of football for a guy like Harry Kane, but as I said before, he's, he's a proven goal scorer. I think the real debate, quite honestly, will be. Yes, you know, is Harry Kane going to be prepared to carry on at Tottenham for another season, two seasons, whatever? To, in, to be honest with you, a side that really doesn't look like winning, well, obviously a premiership. I mean, they're, they're, they are like years away from the top three or four, in my honest opinion. And in particular, Europe-wise as well. You know, do, do they really look like they're going to be challenging uh, for the uh, Champions League? And I think a guy like Harry Kane, as, as dedicated as he is to Tottenham and the cause, as, as he has been, um, he's probably going to have to sit down and think realistically, if I stay here for the future, am I actually going to physically win a major uh, a trophy as opposed to an FA Cup or a, a Caribou Cup or whatever else it's going to be in the, in the forthcoming years as well? And I think, that is, I think that's more of a concern as opposed to style of football the way Mourinho wants him and the rest of Tottenham to play. I think, you know, in the back of his mind, it's always going to be the fact of if I stay here, potentially, you know, footballing style and footballing wise in particular, what am I generally going to win uh, as regards a major, a major trophy? And I'll be honest with you, my honest opinion, Roy, I, I just can't see Tottenham getting anywhere near a Premiership or even more importantly, a Champions League. Okay, Dave, 
everyone at this stage has heard Roy Keane's opinion on the goal that you know you can see that it's hard to disagree though that Sean Maguire and De Gea were appalling in their roles for the opening goal. Ah, listen, he was bang on the money with the the one the, the the very start of the statement with the gay when he says I'm sick of the mistakes he makes. It was I'm, all fans would have agreed 100 percent But then he had to double down and they showed the save he made that was a great save and he's given out that he should have caught it and you're like, all right, right, you're hammering your point at home a bit too much now at this stage. Um, but he was in full flow and of course Everett was having none of it. But every fan, a couple of my mates who are United fans are on the WhatsApp group, they were delighted to hear what he was saying because, yeah, they're sick of De Gea. But it was kind of, it was the, the next 20 seconds afterwards where I was like, now you're just making stuff up now. It's just, it's fine to relax. But yeah, Shaw, the heading, Silly, but and and Maguire, but it's what he got caught flat-footed. Like, yes, he's not the quickest, but what centre half really is that quick? But it was more importantly that he got caught flat-footed. Yes, have the goal, but to go to the extreme, it was it's fun for us and it's entertainment. But there wasn't a lot of thought behind it. It was just we love the moan, but you know what? Like, give us the substance now, you know. Yeah, I thought he made very valid points. I thought Maguire being flat-footed, if, if, if you're going to get beaten with a five-yard head start, mm-hmm. you probably should think about retiring because that, it, no way should someone get beaten with a five-yard yeah. head start. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you just step across them and block them. You know, yeah. you have to use your, use your if head. If that happened in two or three weeks' time, Shano, I'd be uh, all in agreement. It, it, let's be honest, lads. All ten matches were poor. Like, you know, there was instances that were good, but... They're all very leggy. They're all very stale in the attacking third. It's all a bit kind of early doors. If this is still happening by the end of these nine games, I'd be all in behind it. But some of this kind of crappy bits of football is is bound to happen and going to happen. And we've seen it even tonight when Lovren came on. Uh, I think it's a bit easy to to, to fire off the, the, the shot straight away and write him off, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with Kane and I agree with what you're saying there now. Yeah, uh, you have to give them obviously time, but uh, still at the polling. Uh, Pogba made a difference though when he came on, didn't he? Though, oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know whether it was on this last week. I was talking to somebody and they they, 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 they had a double header West Brom and Pogba and Fernandez were on the pitch together. And they were like one of my mates, he, he kind of said, Look, I'm not making any great statement, but Pogba looked alive because he had somebody there that he's interested in, if you know what I mean, or needs to be as good yeah. as. And uh, uh, it'll be very much watch this space, I'll be honest. And it, whatever about United on Friday, I thought attacking wise, they definitely looked the sharper, which wouldn't be too hard. But you can see if they can stay fit for the last seven or eight games, they, they, they could be one of the teams that you'd want to watch. There's some, like, you know, Pogba has it. We all know it. Fernandez has it. And then you have Brashford there. You have James and his pace. Obviously, his final pass isn't the May West, but Mason Greenwood is there. Like United are slowly getting it right in the midfield and fine and, and on up front and I'll like obviously I'll be interested and I'll be looking forward to seeing them to be honest more than most teams at the minute for the for the for the last seven or eight games we're going to watch. Yeah, be interesting uh, to see how, how how a lot of the teams develop actually over the next yeah. few times. Such a short window that they don't have much time to get up and going. Norwich versus Southampton was on that night. Dave, I'm going to stick with you and from an Irish yeah. viewpoint. Shane Long was injured, but Obafemi started and had an assist. So I was looking at his stats. He had three shots, none on target, but two of them were blocked. He had yeah. 12 passes and 10 were completed, so decent. Mm-hmm. What type of striker is he? Is he, just, is he similar to Shane Long? A little bit. Um, uh, yeah, he, he seems pacey. There's not too much over the top uh, to him to really see him kind of going into full stride, but... But he's a, he's a block, he's wide, like so he's strong, so he would be decent at holding it up. Um, he'd be a similar size as well, probably in the mid to mid to kind of five, five, six, five, seven, five, eight. He kind of doesn't seem too tall. So a bit samey to maybe Danny Ings and Shane Long in that sense. But in fairness, it was a decent passage of play for the Redmond. But I, to be honest, there was a great ball over the uh, kind of in through him and he was in on goal and it, all all day long it was like slow down and lay it across to Danny Ings and he, he must he, it was like he had too much time and kind of did nothing with it and he got swallowed up and it was like that's the kind of stuff where the managers will jump on and it's like if he doesn't start getting clinical in that sense that's when they start 
going to the old guard, if you know what I mean, because they love trying the youth, but if the youth don't kind of hit the ground running and in that sense, something like that, they'll be. I, I was a bit nervy when I seen it. I was like, yeah, that's bad. It was plenty of time. The, the, the line of pass was there for Ings and he didn't take it. And I was like, that's stuff that the managers will look back on and I'll get nervous that he might stay in the Premier League for stuff like that. But he didn't show a hell of a lot. But I have to say, Southampton were decent. They were the sharper of the two. Um, and Norwich, not Norwich a bit disappointing considering they're fighting for for survival. But um, yeah, he showed decent bits, but it was like, yeah, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because they're only back as well. But there was just one or two moments where it's like the right decision needs to be made and unfortunately he didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. So it probably looks like he's going to be more of a link-up player, more of a provider yeah. than, than an out-and-out goal scorer. Uh, Danny Ings is an out-and-out goal scorer and he's probably keeping Southampton up on his own nearly, yeah. although Nathan Redmond will have something to say about that. But Peter, Norwich have five wins in 30 games, uh, only 25 goals scored this year, only six points off climbing out of relegation, but are they looking doomed? Well, I, I, I have to go along and say yes, Roy, to be perfectly honest with you, not just on so much Friday's performance. I mean, to be fair, Friday, you know, they really never looked like getting anything from the game at all whatsoever. Uh, I think Southampton were, you know, to be honest with you, very, very comfortable throughout the whole 90 minutes. You're right, only five games in uh, 30 matches. <laughs> the worry is... Uh, 25 goals, as you quite rightly say, Roy, and 25 goals at the moment, as it stands, is the least goal scored in the Premier League. I mean, that will immediately send out a, a huge alarm bells for any side that are in that uh, perilous position. The other factor, of course, as well, is the amount of goals that they concede, and uh, at the moment that stands at 55. I mean, their goal difference doesn't help them, Roy. That's minus 30 as we speak. They're already six points behind uh, fourth and bottom uh, West Ham. And, you, you know, you look at their next fixtures on paper, they don't look particularly promising. Uh, it was It's not just about the, them coming back, uh, you know, going back to the guy's point about players being leggy and everything else. I mean, that, yeah, that's fully understandable. But you've got to remember before the initial break, uh, Norwich really didn't look like a side that really would really threaten to probably climb away from that bottom three. And... Uh, you know, it, the stats tell their own story. If you can't score goals, which they're not scoring goals, and you keep conceding goals, I mean, I can't remember the last time Norwich kept a clean sheet, if, if at all, then that is going to be a massive worry. So if you're a Norwich fan, and I do know a, a few Norwich fans, to be honest with you, they know realistically, um, I know they've got eight games still to go, but realistically, they do look very, very much like a side that are almost certainly going to be heading towards the championship. Yeah. Uh, Wofford won, Leicester won, Nathan. This was a game that could have easily been forgotten about only for two two exceptional finishes in injury time. Hit the nail on the head there. 90 minutes of absolutely nothing. It was, there were, like you said, there wasn't many games really this weekend that stood out. This was probably the worst I've seen anyway. I, there's not really to, to go on it uh, too much. Uh, they had two cracking goals. I thought the only really bright spark in besides the two goals, I thought uh, James Madison had a decent enough game. He seemed to be the only one trying to sort of link anything up a little bit. Um, yeah, besides that, not too major. Even Ben Chilwell, like he had a decent enough game, but um, not an overall to really report on. I think it's a oh, great strike. Oh, super strike, yeah. And even a uh, man, a uh, Craig uh, Dawson, his goal was very nice. It's his first ever goal for Watford. It's where he was banging them in every week, wouldn't it? But he took that one really calmly. Yeah. Nigel Pearson has transformed Watford with a 40.9% win uh, rate since arriving in December. So, do you think that his team look the most promising to stay up? They look like they have a fight, uh, more of a fight than other teams? Like you look at the two teams like closest around them, like West Ham and Bournemouth. If you're gonna pick uh, one team out of them three, yeah, I'd go along with that. I think Watford do look the most um the most promising to stay up. And even performance wise, like we will get into West Ham. Um, but like West Ham and Bournemouth this weekend were pretty poor, like, like equally. And I thought uh, like Watford wouldn't all be bad really. They have a couple of like decent players. It's good to see Troy Deeney. Like there was a lot of confusion around him but uh, before the return of the football would he play would he not play it's good to see him back on the pitch and 
for having someone like that in your team, like will always help, like someone that will like will get your goals and will fight to keep you up. Where mm. I think if you look at someone like West Ham, or they do have decent players, I just think performance-wise, like you can't really pick anybody out that's gonna grab them by the scope of the neck and drag them to safety. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. It's looking for Watford. I think there's promise that doesn't guarantee anything, but they definitely have that fight. Pearson has them fighting. Peter, Leicester, can they keep the top four? The, the little bit of a shaky time lately where they've been gathering points, but not as, as well as they did at the start of the season. Do you think they'll get over the line for top four? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say with them at the moment, Roy, they've got the advantage of having the points on the ball, so to speak. You know, they've already got 54. Uh, mm. What are they Three points currently clear of uh, Chelsea and uh, eight points uh, clear of uh, Manchester United. That eight points is sounds a lot, and it is a lot, actually. It's quite big. Yeah, I, I think they've probably got the calibre still to stay in that uh, top, uh, that uh, second, third, fourth uh, slot so to speak uh, yes I do I could go along with that I totally agree with you actually I've got a feeling they might just limp across the line so to speak that's the only thing as you say they I don't think they've got the flair like they had from a while ago and um, but look at the end of the day as I said before the actual uh, break of the Premier League at least they accumulated those wins early on didn't they and those points also which has made uh, in my opinion, a, a lot of difference, actually. But I, I think, um, even with the games to go, yeah, I can still see Leicester finishing in that uh, top four, definitely, yeah. Yeah, uh, point, points in hand, points in the bag, you're right. I think that could get them over the line. Saturday at 3pm, we had our first live game on BT Sports in England. Of course, here in Ireland, we get them all the time, suckers. Pepe, <laughs> Pepe scored on the 68 minute to put Arsenal ahead. But this was uh, the Arsenal's second defeat in four days. And I wrote on the bigkickoff.com that Arsenal are, are basically only an average team now. And not only an average team, but an average club. Dave, what, what kind of job has Mikel Arteta got in his hands? Uh, yeah, just to kind of yeah to jump on it straight away. I, I was talking to Tony, me mates Tony and Derek. You know, we were watching the Liverpool game together, and we obviously Arsenal came up because Neil Mopé's interview afterwards was very interesting. But as I said to the lads, who is in that team that you think could be the catalyst to get it going again? Um, is there anyone there that you could say right? You can start building it around. And at the moment, it's a no. Um, the backline is as we can we can all digest, like we all know what happened during the week, but the backline is not strong enough. Leno was decent; he's made some good saves. We we leave him we leave him out of it. But midfield again, there's just nothing there. And then the boys, obviously, Aubameyang just talked that he's gonna go. I don't think he's playing the the, the game now. Where whether he wants to stick around, so it's another transition period. And it's another rebuild. And will they give it to Arteta? It's it's it's. It's it's an awful job by the by the looks of it. You think it should be a great job, but it's an awful job. There's as I said, short story. I don't think there's anyone there to kind of go. Yeah, he's the guy that's gonna to build it around and get it going. It seems like they need a complete rehab. Yeah, and of course they're gonna have to give our tech a time. He's only after getting the job, yeah. so yeah. he needs the two windows. You, you can't jump on on the man's case just yet. No, no, I wouldn't. But you just know it's a funny old game, and managers gonna yeah. lose a job quite quick. I'm just saying, I'd be a tiny bit fearful because of what happens in, in the game but no he's, he's, he's got the job and I believe he should but it's a Jesus it's awful Yeah they have a real problem with contracts Bamiang is on his last year and could leave also Saka who was impressed in patches is, is a young player but he's in his last year now as well and this is going back years that yeah. they have let players go 2018 Ramsey Petr Cech Danny Welbeck were allowed to run their, their contracts down. 2017, Sanchez, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Herzola was slightly different because he was an injury, but he went on and played at Villarreal. And of course, Van Persie in 2013, and that's only a few of them, that they've yeah. let run down their contracts to a year or to the end and have lost them for nothing or little ne- next to nothing. Yeah, and they're supposed to be sound financially. And, and, they, and this is a lot during Wenger's time as well. So... 
you know, questions have to be asked. But there's also unrest in the board, you know. You have Usmanov and Kroenke there, and there was a bit of a power play, and, you know, there could be ta- it could be a kind of a, a background a political kind of thing, you know, where somebody's trying to make a mess of it to, to oust the other out. Like, it's, it, there's probably a bigger story in the background that we don't know, but from from what we see it's it's a it's a it's slightly embarrassing if if, if for for arsenal you expect better from them you know especially with the new ground and all this money that they were going to get in and then obviously being the, the biggest london club and obviously the, the biggest club kind of down south and it's it's I, I, yeah trying to put my finger on it you're trying to justify how bad it's got for them but i just don't know where it is it, i have a little belief that there's a there's a bit of goings on in the background that we can't see but from what we do know, it's not it's not a pretty picture. Peter Bernd Leno was injured in a collision with Neil Maupay, resulting in him being substituted. What did you make of it? Well, it was a nasty injury, wasn't it? I mean, it didn't look particularly nice in real uh, action, real life, and uh, so much so that the television company concerned BT Sports that they didn't want to actually re-show it at all. I mean, that shows you how horrific it was. It, it looked nasty at the time. I don't think, to be honest with you, uh, Neil Melpe, I think he had to go for the ball. I don't honestly think there was any malicious malicious challenge at all whatsoever. Um, I know some people think it was, but I don't think it was. I think it was just one of those things he did go for the ball. And to be fair, uh, unfortunately, in in Leno's case, uh, he obviously fell awkwardly, very much so. It was a horrendously bad injury as such. Uh, I know... uh, (laughs) Leno, obviously, uh, sitting up on that stretcher with those pictures, wasn't happy with Mr. Morpay, shall we say. But like I say, he obviously saw it that way. Personally, I, I, I saw it a little bit differently. But uh, so at the end of the day, um, I don't necessarily blame Neil Malpay. But uh, I don't honestly think he's that type of a player. And he admitted afterwards, didn't he? He said that he apologised. He, he wouldn't want to hurt anybody, understandably so. And of course, to rub salt into the wounds, especially... From an Arsenal point of view, because he goes on and bags the winner, doesn't he, as well, really? So, uh, <laughs> you know, I can see why Arsenal were very upset, especially at the end, because emotions were running very, very high by then, weren't they, as well, also? But no, I, I don't, you know, in my honest opinion, I, I, I honestly feel that, he, as I said, he, he had to go for the ball, but in my opinion, I don't think he did anything at all badly wrong whatsoever, no. No, I think you see that. I think you see that week in, week out. There's always a little bit of a nudge with a goalkeeper, or a goalkeeper. It's vice versa most of the time. So it wasn't anything. It was just a nasty accident. So yeah, hopefully he gets Arsenal need him badly. To tell you the truth. Oh, they do. Dave, yeah. at, the, Dave, at the end of the game, Gendouzi grabs the throat of Mope uh, straight in front of the referee. And the referee was watching and failed to take any action. My question to you is, are referees getting lazy and letting technology take over the game? That could be one of the habits. It could be one of the habits that's being caused because, like, you know, there is instances where you can see certain things right going. Yeah, of course. And, and that's why I, when I was watching the game, because um, I was watching it in the kitchen at the time and I was kind of getting a few bits ready. So I was kind of not really listening to the commentary too much. But when I seen the picture, I went, oh, that must be him gone. And I kind of walked away and then I noticed he was still there. So I was very surprised that he stayed on because we've seen that for, for years, that the, the minimum booking, if not sending off at that stage. So, yeah, yeah I, I suppose in that instance, it's there and it's in front of him. And obviously, as we now know, they can't kind of come in and interrupt. So, yeah, our referee is getting sluggish. Absolutely, possibly, unfortunately. Get, it's their fail mm. It is. And uh, everything will be sorted by technology and we don't have to really worry too much about things. And I think it's... Mm. Uh, <laughs> West, West Ham of Wolves. <laughs> Wolves won 2-0 away from home. And we did talk about this over in Germany. A lot of away results will start to come in because of the, the no fans at games. Jimenez and Neto scored for Wolves. Nathan... The first half was a bit of, well, a non-event again. Yeah. But when, when Torore came on in the 64th minute, the game totally changed. How good was he and what makes him so effective? Yeah, I, I think he's an excellent player. And even um, and it's crazy, I've seen him play with, um, even when he's underage at Barcelona and he was with uh, Middlesbrough a couple of years ago. And I thought he was fine. He's a decent enough pacey player. 
But just all of a sudden, he just absolutely he just came into his own with Wolves, and he just like obviously he beefed up a lot, and he still kept the pace. But when he came on, he completely changed the game. Like he pulled up that right hand side, gave Aaron Cresswell like a seriously, seriously tough time. That uh, that just nobody was giving Jordan the game. Like, and I just think it's a mix of his of keeping that speed, but putting on that added bulk, and he's so confident on the ball and calm. I, I really, really highly rate him, and it's not a uh, once-off like this has been happening consistently this season. He's probably been Wolves' best player this season, and that's in a that's in a side full of very, very good Wolves players. So I think um, he definitely stood out. Um, he was only on the pitch for a short while, about twenty-five minutes, but he definitely stood out for me. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I can't really see him sticking around at Wolves either. To be honest with you, uh, with this season done and dusted, I think you will you'll definitely see him going on to Pasha's new. Yeah, I think he's always been a great dribbler and that's one of the things that caught people's eyes but he yeah. never had that end product. Now he's making things a little bit more simple, rather a bit like Ronaldo, although he's nowhere near Ronaldo, but he's a bit like Ronaldo where he's not just relying on all of his tricks. Now he's using his pace, which is his, his real weapon and yeah. of course, power is yeah, a bit of power behind him there as well. But yeah, is, he's been yeah. hugely effective and his crossing has just vastly like, improved. You've seen the ball in for the, for the Neto goal. Now, the, the, the Neto finish was fantastic, but the ball in was yeah. peach perfect. And even the Jimenez uh, header, just two perfect crosses, like exactly where the strikers uh, wanted them. And they were missing that for the whole game. They were missing that supply into the box. But as soon as it came on, you're seeing all of a sudden, it was just such a change up. And, I can guarantee that man's name will be, uh, will be in the starting eleven for the next game. Dave, West Ham, worried? Absolutely. Like, in fairness, um, a summary of the whole t- uh, fixtures, the relegation teams uh, have been the most disappointing. Um, because if anything, you know, obviously Liverpool should be motivated for obvious reasons, but then they should be motivated for obvious reasons. And every one of them have been bitterly, bitterly disappointing. And, it's kind of like, what? what's the excuse here, boys, you know? Apart from, obviously, Brighton, obviously. I'll, I'll take it back about them. But Bournemouth, Villa, Norwich, and obviously West Ham. Uh, I didn't see enough out of them to, to, to make... I'd be worried for them all. And, and, and I don't think any of them are safe, apart from, obviously, maybe Brighton now at this stage. That was a cracking result yesterday. For them. But West yeah, Ham, yeah. I, nothing up front. On. Sorry, Shano. The, the biggest reason, again, nothing up front. Antonio is not a main man. Um, Haller hasn't really been a, a, a great addition so far. I think he's only got the one or two goals. And then, unfortunately, the midfield yesterday was very sideways and backwards. Not enough penetration, not real risk and reward. Um, and obviously, then once the injection of pace from Traore came in, everything changed for them, and then they they got their just rewards. Yeah, it, it's a valid point. It's a great point, actually, Dave. That very surprising, apart from Brighton, that these yeah. teams haven't stepped up a level because yeah you would you would think towards the end of the season march april may and you're saying well they're having a long season there and it's worn them down yeah. and they're, and there's a bit of depression and you know the confidence is gone but they've had a big break there that confidence mm-hmm. and and you know everything should be up again it's like a new season yeah. they should be raring to go so yeah it's very disappointing and i'm going to stick with you dave on this one bournemouth yeah. nil crystal palace too they don't look threatening at all. Their spark is gone, and yeah, at the home, the home crowd isn't there now to roar them on. So that's a worrying point for them. And I'm finding yeah. it hard to feel positive about them staying up. Absolutely, um, and it, it was one of the rare games where a team got a great start, and you kind of knew once the second one went in, it was kind of game over. Then you know, and. Mm. Uh, yeah, they had no answer. Same thing in the final third. And even in the last 15, 20 minutes, it's kind of like, where's the little drive? I know crowds might help with the push and whatever, but where's the drive and the guile? They've some nice they've nice players, but there's not enough meat in the team, if you know what I mean. There's not enough of a there's not enough dogs of war in my opinion for Bournemouth. It, when everything's going right for them, you you love watching them. But when somebody has has them by the neck, it's it's just not there. It's just, I, they just don't have that kind of bulldog that comes out and and batters their way back into the game, and then the nice players can come alive again. You know. No, and they used to have that spark where they were great at zipping the ball around. Yeah. They were a bit like when Blackpool came up. There was all this possession-based football, and it got them so far. 
But now they're really having to dig in and, and there doesn't seem to be the fight there. And one of the people I'm looking at now is, is Callum Wilson, who they're talking, you know, you, you have these little periods of great form. I suppose, yeah, Pookie, if he was English, would have had the same thing. He would have been an English international and all this. But this is where Callum mm-hmm. Wilson went. And all of a sudden, he's lulled and he needs to be a big player. He needs to stand up. And yeah. his stats, when I looked at uh, Obafemi's stats and I looked at Wilson's stats, it stood out to me. I think he had one shot, on, uh, one shot, none on target. He had 22 passes and I think 10 of them, that's 50%, were only successful. So he's losing the ball left, right and centre. And when you look at Obafemi for Southampton, he's keeping the possession at least. So yeah. stuff is breaking down around them. So players need to start looking at themselves there, don't they? Oh, 100%. You know, uh, Eddie Howe has a fine setup there. And now it's where it's, I, I haven't an issue with it. They, they have a decent back line. So it's not like, it's not like Norwich where as, as, as pretty as Norwich are for their attacking and trying to do it the right way, they're open all hours at the back. While Formans have a bit of, like Nathan Aki and Steve Cook are decent enough at full uh, centre-halves and stuff. But as I said, that... When the chips are down and they're not they're not able to play the really pretty football or get on top of somebody, it's not there. And then Wilson could peter out to be no disrespect, but like the next Marcus Stewart who has the the one season wonder and then just peters along like and just kind of oh yeah, I remember he had a good year a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he's uh, he's he needs to stand up now and be counted or be forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Crystal Palace though. They've won their last four matches. They're ninth. They're on 42 points, the same as Spurs. And Dave, Roy Hodgson's just going about his business nice and quietly and doing a great job. And his hair is fantastic. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> it's that Donald Trump way going on, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's a nice balanced side, you see, with Palace. You know, um, obviously Zaha, when he's on form, I think he takes him up a notch, but IU is looking good again and then you've got a decent back midfield there with McCarthy, Milivojevic and Piatti and then Van Anholt he's a cracking player like he's a he's a he's a very productive fullback going forward as well and then they've the two solid guys Dan and Cahill in the back like it's just a nice balance of a side and yeah. it, it, that's, that's everything it's yeah. everything yeah and even yeah. Ben Teke up top, he won't get you many goals. Yeah. But even uh, the games uh, yesterday, his whole play even like, makes, yeah, like, so sort of makes up makes up for you know the lack of goals that he will avoid. Because mm. Jordan, oh yeah, that's his third goal in three games. Like so, yeah, he's starting to chip in now. Like so, it's good balance to have. Like you said, yep. Newcastle versus Sheffield United, three 0 to Newcastle. Again, another game that, and this is five games out of the first eight games. <laughs> and of course, Liverpool went along with this one as well. That got yeah. to half time at nil nil. So uh, you can see how it's been a slow start for a lot of these teams. Peter, a couple of crucial individual errors turned this game in the favour of Newcastle, didn't it? Yeah, it did rather, actually. And of course, uh, it, they were also helped by the uh, sending off of uh, Egan, who, in my opinion, deserved two yellow cards. Couldn't really argue about the first one. And Ditto the second one as well. So uh, that obviously didn't help their cause, did it really, more than anything else. Plus errors in particular, horrendous errors, it has to be said as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you you couldn't argue with that result. 3-0, Newcastle thoroughly deserved that, actually. Um, In fact, they were were one of the the few home teams to actually win. Uh, You were mentioning earlier, Roy, about, uh, you know, the away performances and everything else, etc., uh, well, that Newcastle win was one of only five home wins in 22 matches completed over the weekend in the Premiership and the Championship as well. But in that game, as I say, I think one of the turning points in particular was the sending off as well. I think that made a bit of a difference having said that. But to their credit, I think Newcastle played very well. You know, I think they, you know, they deserve to win. Uh, they deserve to pick up three points as well. And... Um, a, a good restart for the Toon Army. Yeah, yeah. Those damn Irish letting them down. Sheffield United <laughs> pushing, yeah. pushing yeah, for yeah. the Champions League. They've made, it, they've made a poor start, Peter, though, haven't they? Like That's only one point from a, a possible six points. And uh, maybe this is just going to falter away on them. 
Yeah, well, this is it, you see. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, it couldn't be helped, obviously, but when the Premier League was curtailed, um, it was the wrong time for that to happen for Sheffield United because up until then, they were, well, you could say the surprise package of the Premier League. Um, they were only a few points outside the, the top four. OK, realistically, you'd probably say, I don't think they could actually get into the top four. But who who's to know? But I think that this is a classic case of... Um, if you'd have spoke to uh, their manager, I think he would have turned around and said, well, no, it's a pity, but we really would have liked to have carried on, actually. Because at that time, remember, they had the momentum with them. And of course, admittedly, they've had to start like everybody else from scratch, true. But if you look at Sheffield United, you're right, Roy. They, they, they look at the moment like a side who uh, have, have just come back from pre-season and, and they look a little bit lost more than anything. They don't look like the unit that they were. And, and I, I generally feel, as I say, I know circumstances have dictated it. You can't do anything about it. But I just feel um, the actual break has really affected them as one of the one of the teams in this Premier League. Because, you know, certainly they just do not look like um, the side that were performing so well under Chris Wilder. And, and you know, to be fair, before the break, they had surprised a lot of people, yes, uh, you'd have to say that, but they look like a very good compact side that could well be challenging, certainly for a top six, top seven spot, but they're certainly going to have to improve somehow by far and away. Yeah, they definitely lost their momentum there and there's not enough games to to build up a momentum so they've got to change things fairly quickly. Newcastle look comfortable now, they're on 38 points. I, I, I suppose, Dave... Steve Bruce is looking at a comfortable 38 points, getting a few wins. Even Joe Linton scored a goal. Uh, you know, hopefully these, the Arab consortium don't come in because I'm gone from a job. What way does he look at it? <laughs> you know, it is a uh, tricky one for him because he's actually doing everything right, but he still could exactly. lose his job. Is he kind of hoping, do you think, they don't, they don't take over? <laughs> yeah, because the, the rumours are obviously picking up about uh, an American media group as well now that are sniffing around. So, obviously, yeah. it, it could be the same thing. They might want their own man as well. So, I don't think he should get too comfortable if, if, if a new group come in instead. But, listen, they bought a lot of players this year. They really went for it. He would have been under a bit of pressure. I think he's done a fine job. They're all starting to hit... They were all starting to get there. He was very solid at the back, but you're up front is where he needed to get going. And thankfully, he can say there's evidence of it today. I can't really kind of remember too much before the break. But Almiron was involved today. And of course, he had very much choice. And Joe Linton, obviously. Then you had, obviously, Sam Maximan, who dip, who's a bit of a difference maker. Um, who's, I think he's a fine player and a great addition. So, yeah, he's between the rock and a hard place. I'm delighted for him, but it could be short-lived, as we all know. And then the last comment, Andy Carroll's beard, shocking. Uh, shocking? Uh, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Oh, would you stop me? Oh, it's a great sound. It was like it was like he fell asleep and the lads just shaved underneath his lip. It was terrible. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing, he's been, best thing he's been involved in in a long time. <laughs> it was Maybe almost as worse as it was almost as bad as Mike Dean's beard. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> I thought that suited him, but anyhow, there you go. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't got it on top, get it on the face. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely probably needs it. Uh, Dave, I'm just going to stick with you just for this one because since Sheffield United were the talk of the town with Villa on Wednesday night, <laughs> yeah. as you alluded to, the VAR, <laughs> that, that's just a strange, strange situation again. I'm, yeah. I'm not a fan of VAR, I, I really am. And it just gives me reasons week in, week out yeah. not to like it. All it seems to be doing is giving us even more high-profile mistakes. And these mistakes shouldn't be made. That one against Aston Villa, it's clearly over the line. Mm-hmm. Technology doesn't work for goal line. Fine, VAR is there. And mm-hmm. review it and you can see it and there's no problem. So why didn't they? And then there's all sorts of questions to be asked then. I'm just going to skip on to another one when you can answer this question, Dave. Again, Lewis Mm -hmm. Cook was playing for Bournemouth and gave a little slight elbow into the uh, the neck of, oh God, I can't remember who it was now, uh, the other day. And VAR reviewed it and didn't change it to a red card. I don't trust VAR because there's blatant decisions (laughs) that are there. 
what do you make of it? Yeah, like, as the season started, we, we had many a chats on the radio, as you know, and I think we were both for it at the start because, you know, we thought yeah. it would help clean up some of the, the mess. And if anything, it's just created more mess. Um, like, the lads on BT on, was it BT on Friday? Oh, on Saturday morning, kind of commended them for the one decision they kind of got right, which was the second United penalty. So, oh, we better give them some credit because they put, you could see the two or three pros looking going, no, we shouldn't because they just make too many mistakes. It's kind of like even, it's, it's, it's not consistent enough. Like, but go, listen, let's start with Wednesday. It was very clearly over the line. Um, Hawkeye came out quite quick and we're, it kind of made sense how they explained it. The way the keeper, the post and the other player, it blocked a couple of cameras and hence why it couldn't make the call. You could see the ref, which is kind of like, right, that's fine. We've, we're going to look at it and we're going to fix that problem. It's the first in 9,000 instances where it's happened. We'll sort it out. And you're going, right, Grant, that's fair enough. You could see the ref mm-hmm. talking to one of the players and he said, um, you could say that was definite goal ref. And he kind of says, sorry, it never came up on the watch. And that's it. He just went about his business then. There wasn't a kind of a quick nod up to the VAR because... If he had of, you could see it. It wasn't a dodgy one. It was quite clear there was daylight between the ball and the post, let alone the goal line. And and, so, Dave, and Dave, it doesn't. It does. It's not up to the referee either just to have to ask VAR because on many of occasions VAR have signalled down to the referee that they were doing something. Yeah. yeah. See, see, that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't know the exact rule. There has been, yeah, there has been goals where there was a handball. Uh, one end of a box they've gone yeah. up and sco- scored a goal at far end and it's been disallowed for the handball down the far end of the box and a penalty given down the far end so it, it has been happened where a referee has been advised now he should have been advised at least to look at a TV screen yeah yeah the worst the worst of VAR lad could have gone on to him and said it isn't go on up and have a look at this I'll say nothing you know and let him make the call even like just give him that do not don't tell him why but just say look I'm going to pr- I want to show you something and let you make the call. Um, but everyone would have applauded that. A bit of common sense, you know. Um, like, you, like you could see the keeper, Nyland, he looked, they all, he looked a bit sheepish. The Sheffield, like, you know, it was one of them. First game back, everyone's watching it and it was a chance to do something good and of course it let us down again. Yeah, and they can't say the technology isn't there. It's there for them to see. Yeah. We can all see it. So, this is human error, and VAR was supposed to get rid of human error, but now all we have is extra referees making more mistakes. So I, I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if I want to hang in around, but then again, that's just would me. they have the ego? Would they have the? Would they have no ego to cut their losses? That's the fear. I can't see I them. Think, I can't I see them putting a hand up and saying it's around. Um, I think it's going to be around for a while, and maybe. It, it it won't go away. It's as simple as that. Unfortunately, I think. Yeah, uh, someone must have had. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Another thing on this as well, which uh, I, I was like everybody staggered. It was. I mean, it, everyone could see it was a goal from every different angle. I yeah. agree. Why on earth doesn't somebody who's sitting in a truck remember? Yeah. In the truck room, they've got screens there. They've got cameras. Everything the lot. I totally agree with you, Dave. Surely somebody must have said well look hang on a minute that's definitely a goal you know let's at least uh, buzz the referee and do something about it or in my opinion why didn't the assistant referee who would have had a good angle wouldn't he from from where he was surely he would have seen like everybody clearly that was over the line surely he must then speak to the referee concerned and say look you know (laughs) whether or not you watch buzzes or not come on that was over the line then i agree what they said then the referee should which a lot of these referees are not doing at the moment are they they should go to a monitor see yeah. all the different camera angles and there's your answer isn't it and I mean, peter, sure. to be honest peter just uh, sorry uh, and i think it's just to reiterate probably roy's point from earlier on are they doing their job the linesman yeah. is yeah. not doing his job there um, like he, they should pretend that there is no VAR and make a call. And yeah, if he was, yeah. if there was no VAR there, he probably would have said it to the ref. I think that might have been over the line, you know. Or I think we need to have a look at it. Like pretend they're not there, and then oh, I think it's over. Listen, ref, go and have a look. 
Yeah, I, I, I do think that VAR are responsible. I, I'll give the linesman a break because th- there's been 100% accuracy with the goal line technology. Very hard to override yeah. a goal line technology thing when it's been working so perfect. But VAR has nowhere near that sort of accuracy. And I mean, it's, it's easier to use. It's, it's visual, it's there, it's, it's, it's not hard to use. Anyhow, so yes, we'll, we'll move on from that. But yeah. there has been good decisions with VAR, obviously, but there's far too many. I mean, if it's one in 10, they get wrong, fine. Or one in 20, they get wrong, fine. But it seems to be three or four out of 10. That seems to be very controversial. So yeah. we can't even say watch the space because it's there. It's staying with us. And I think it's going to, it's going to annoy us for a while. Uh, a bit of Chelsea. 2-1 to Chelsea. Nathan, two goals and two minutes clinched this game for Chelsea. Villa looked tired. Was this game won by Chelsea's superior bench? Being a lot more superior than Villa's. Yeah, so you can put it down to that. Like, um, well, even even in the first half, uh, it was Chelsea were the more dominant team. You know, like they had a couple of decent chances. Like uh, Mason Mount came close, Kovacic uh, came close. So even the Villa goal was completely against the run of play. Like, and then they said the two the two quick goals in a quick succession. It really did change it, but especially when the um the ball uh, policy off on a uh, from the bench like. He really did make it, like, make a big difference in the game. Like he only came on and scored a goal. Like, but even the overall general play going forward, like he really did bring an extra spark to Chelsea. To, to what he he didn't, we were sort of missing that in the first half, you know. And even that, like winning on that, like the likes of uh, Tammy Abraham and stuff, like it's really that's a different step up to what Villa had on their bench. So it's always going to be a difference maker, you know. Yeah, um, Peter Villa's. I suppose Villa's best players are probably in the starting eleven. When I look at their bench, there doesn't seem to be a real go-to guy that can come on and change, like a Chelsea Pulisic. No, and that's the difference, Roy, between the big squads and the uh, and the not so big squads, isn't it? Really, as you say, you know, you look at Chelsea's bench, and uh, Frank Lampard's got a, a host of riches he can turn to, whereas uh, unfortunately Dean Smith hasn't got that particular. Uh, situation more than anything else. I mean, uh, mind you, having said that, you have to give Chelsea a lot of credit, remember, for coming down from a goal down, as you say, a couple of goals in the course of a couple of minutes. And and then, of course, once they really got on top, that was it then. You, you know, you couldn't see Villa. Villa haven't got the sort of play, I think, who can turn a game, have they, really? It, you know, that they are that sort of side. They haven't got real quality in a lot of departments, no. But more importantly, they haven't got someone who's got that extra spark, that extra flair that really can inject something into them more than anything. Uh, and of course, they really are in a perilous position at the moment in that bottom three. And if they could have uh, got a result today and held on to that one little victory, I think that would have given them a, a massive amount of belief and confidence in particular as well. But unfortunately, from one minute looking like getting three points, they end up with nothing at all. And uh, again, it's unfortunately back to square one for Dean Smith. Yeah. Nathan, just to finish with yourself, Jack Grealish, you said Madison earlier on, played very well. I thought he was decent. I think Jack Grealish today, very average. Yeah. Are these players as good as the English press make them out to be, or are they are they being overhyped? No, so I think to a certain extent these lads do always get overhyped. You know, it's been like that through through all through the years. You look at it like to different levels, like Wayne Rooney burst onto the scene. There was massive hype around him. Like David Bentley, Sean Roy Phillips, they had massive hype. Didn't really come up to it. I think I think they're good players, and. I think that um, my fear would be, especially for Grealish, that he'd make that step up and he'd just get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I think he's standing out now because Peter made the point that Bill don't really have that spark in the team. We could actually say Grealish is the spark in the team. So I'd be afraid if you moved up to someone like whoever, like Tottenham or United or whoever's linked him, that he won't get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Where I think um, Madison has that little bit extra about him compared to what Grealish has. Where like there's plenty of Grealishes, Jack Grealishes in the league. Where I think Madison, if he was to take a step up, or even go abroad, not forgetting that, not uh, forgetting that, I think that um he could deal with a bit more. But yeah, in terms of being 
best players in the league. No, I, I don't really. I wouldn't really go along with too much of the hype that's been surrounded by them. Decent players, but yeah. they, they are what they are, especially in the case of uh, Jack Grealish for me. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dave, Chelsea, Peter has cemented Leicester into the top three or the top four. Uh, can you cement uh, the big kickoffs top four by saying Chelsea will make that top four? <laughs> Off today's performance, I would say I'm looking at the gap. It's five points. It might be enough. You know, they looked half decent. I know United looked decent as well. So, you know, it, I think it's going to be between them two. I think there's enough points there for Leicester. But Chelsea looked good today. But I'm not going to get excited because I haven't been impressed with Villa. Um, let's face it, they nicked that goal. They were totally against that run of play. That win was coming no matter what, regardless of Villa's goal, in my opinion. Um, um, so I wouldn't get overly excited about uh, Chelsea as of yet, but they still did what they had to do. They look a bit sharp. They have a bench, which, is looked, which looks like what you're going to need at the moment. So because of the advantage, a bit similar to Leicester, because of the five-point advantage, I'll say yes. But, uh, okay. They, you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, lads, thanks very much. Have a look at thebigkickoff.com because there has been so many great articles and with sports flowing back, there's so many different things going on, so many different opinions and so much different news that uh, we're bursting at the seams. Dave, Peter and Nathan, thanks very much as always and we'll chat to you all next week.